0: Hello and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. My name is Greg so glad to be with you all this morning. I get the opportunity to uh, bring the scriptures and uh, explain what God is speaking to us, you know, four, uh, five or six times a year. And so it's always a great pleasure and honor to be here. Um, I will corroborate what the other men said about our experience um, at Man Camp. Uh, So thankful for Steve and his message and uh, what God is doing through him. And if, uh, if there is a, I pray that there is a seismic shift in the way that we uh, speak to one another and impart God's love and blessing and truth to one another, and if that happens, it's going to be largely in part uh, because of, what, of uh, what Steve taught us, so we're really thankful for that. Um, we are in this series in Galatians, as you uh, obviously know now, and uh, I'm going to speak to us a little bit about this second half of chapter one here. I think God has something here for us uh, to really give us an impartation uh, of an understanding of what this gospel is uh, about. And so let's get started. Not too long ago, my kids were passing the time at home uh, with one of their mini activity books. if you're familiar with these things, they've got, you know, coloring pages, crossword puzzles. And this particular book had an encoded secret message. So if you understand how this works, it's a numerical cipher, fairly straightforward. You'll have uh, blanks for the letters. There's some number there, and then there's a decoding page that kind of explains which letter goes with which number. And as you fill in the spaces, a a secret message appears. Now, this got me thinking about uh, the greatest Christmas movie ever made, A Christmas Story. Now, I see some people understand what I'm talking about, understand where I'm going. Uh, If you're of uh, my generation, then you've probably seen this movie many times. Uh, You um, would be familiar with this. But just in case you don't know, let me tell you how it goes. It's set in about the 1930s. At that time, radio programming is king, right? The original podcast, Uh, the protagonist, Ralphie. Every week he runs to his radio and he turns that knob so he can tune in to Radio Orphan Annie and her uh, radio podcast or her her radio show. And uh, at the end of every Radio Orphan Annie uh, broadcast, there is a secret encoded message that is delivered. But you can't decode the message unless you join the Radio Orphan Annie secret society. Or how do you do that? Well, you have to collect your Ovaltine labels, and then you have to mail them in, and then you are sent the Radio Orphan Annie Secret Society decoder ring. Okay, so now the stage is set. Ralphie receives his ring in the mail. He runs. He listens to his show. He furiously scribbles down the, decoded me- the encoded message, and then he races to the bathroom, locks himself inside to decode the message. Oh, What is it that radio orphan Annie would want to tell me? It's going to change my life now that I'm on the inside and I have access to this inside knowledge. What could it be? Don't forget to drink your Ovaltine. Oh, my gosh! I mean, if you watch it, it's fabulous. I mean, the kid's face totally changes. He's like, no, this couldn't possibly be the message. There must be some other message. I wrote it down wrong. I'm reading it again. To his disappointment and chagrin, he discovers, no, this was a terrible, <laughs> yes, <laughs> terrible trick <laughs> to, to, to convince him to drink over which he's already done. His disappointment is palpable. He's overwhelmed, in fact, and his experience teaches us about the disillusionment of lost innocence. Totally crushed, he... Walks out of the bathroom, understanding that he's been duped, cheated. In fact, now you might be thinking, "Okay, Greg, yes, this is the greatest movie ever made in Christmas time, and I do watch it every year. It's on repeat in the, my on my uh, uh, TV." But what does it have to do with Galatians? Uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. Here's the thing: Paul is recounting to us in this second half of Chapter One his life as a Pharisee before and then his life after he encounters Jesus. His life experience embodies Jesus' indictment against the Pharisees. If you're familiar with this in the book of John or the the gospel of John, um, verse 39, Jesus says this about the Pharisees. He says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So who are these Pharisees? Well, at the time, the Pharisees were a religious order or sect of Judaism. Uh, they saw themselves as protectors of God's revelation. They did recognize, to their credit, that God had done something incredibly unique. The creator of the universe had spoken to his people. He had written with his own finger his law, communicating his heart communicating his values, communicating how we ought to live, and he had handed it to his chosen people. And they knew that it was critical that they should protect this revelation. Now, in their zeal, they had built up forms and processes and uh, further laws and observances to try to help the people uh, honor God. But they had, in this effort, as often happens when human effort is mixed with God's revelation, They had actually created barriers to people coming to know God. Jesus, in another place, indicts them. He says that um, "You, you heap burdens on people's shoulders, that is, more and more regulations, more laws to follow, more morality, and you don't lift a finger to help them. And so the Pharisees had actually, in that sense, become enemies of God, hindering man's access to God's revelation, not helping it. So it is not until Paul's Damascus Road experience with Jesus that he comes to realize this truth, that he has become a hindrance and not a help. In that moment, though, the risen Lord Jesus revealing himself to Paul Absolutely everything changes. You might know the story. Paul has been given power and orders by the chief priests to go to Damascus to find these uh, Christians, these people following Jesus who are distorting Judaism, to bind them and bring them to the chief priests. But Jesus reveals himself. There's a flash of blinding light. Paul falls from his horse, an audible voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Lord? It is I, Jesus. In this moment, Paul discovers that Jesus Christ is the key to understanding God's redemptive plan. Jesus is the Radio Orphan Annie Secret Society decoder ring for the Old Testament. Until this moment, Paul has been studying the Old Testament his entire life, reciting it and teaching it in the synagogues, thinking that he is leading people to God. But he has not been able to do that effectively Because he missed the Messiah. He missed Jesus. The revelation that Jesus is God's anointed one is the linchpin of all that God has been doing and is going to do in human history and in human redemption. And in fact, it is an earth-shattering revelation. Why? Because it's the key that unlocks access. Access to the throne room of God, the mercy seat of God, forgiveness for sin, a cleansed conscience, assurance of salvation, the indwelling person and power of the Holy Spirit, the promise of future glory and resurrection, and personal union with Jesus Christ himself. Grasping this reality turns Paul from a staunch opponent to the fiercest defender of the gospel. Now, there's a parallel account of these things in the book of Acts, and we'll jump back and forth from Galatians to Acts as we consider these things. We find out that Paul was originally named Saul. He was a zealous member of this Pharisee party. By his own admission, he was climbing the ranks faster than anyone in his group. Honestly, he strikes me as a severe, humorless, and cutthroat overachiever. When I was in medical school, we had a name or a term for these people. We called them gunners. They were the students who would go to the library, and they would check out all the books so you couldn't get it. They might tear out the pages with the best answers so that on the test, they would have the score and you wouldn't. Um, Paul was a stickler for the rules, right? Probably, in fact, that phrase probably doesn't even describe him well enough. He's a guy who would, who would excommunicate his own mother for breaking the law. As the text states, he had this misplaced spiritual fervor for God's law and for God's traditions or these Jewish traditions, and it lands him on the wrong side of God's plan for human redemption. Now, as he attempts in his effort to protect and preserve God's legacy, Saul finds himself kicking against the goads, persecuting the resurrected Messiah while persecuting his church. After Jesus reveals himself to Saul on this Damascus road, Saul finds himself physically blind. A clear metaphor for his spiritual state. But he comes away with something far more valuable than his physical sight. He has been given new spiritual eyes through which to see and to reexamine everything that he thought he knew about God. If this man, Jesus, is truly God's Messiah, then the Pharisees have completely missed God's plan. And Saul himself, though he has diligently studied God's word and taught it to others, he has found himself to be a blind guide leading the blind. The the prophet Isaiah, 700 years prior to this, had actually uh, prophesied that the people of Israel would be ever seeing but never perceiving, missing God's true plan. And so we come to Paul's main point in this passage, that this gospel that he has brought the church in Galatia in his original meeting with them was not man's gospel, it was God's gospel, Not man's gospel, because erudite and learned, wise men had missed it. The teachers of the age had missed it. Ah, but God in his mercy had chosen to reveal it. He had revealed it to unschooled men. That's how they described the disciples in the book of Acts. It says, we knew that they were unschooled men, yet they had been with Jesus. He revealed it to the blue-collar fishermen, the working class average joe not to the elite paul's gospel is not man's gospel in acts 9 it tells us that paul stayed with the believers in damascus after a time the jew the very same jews he had partnered with to persecute the church caught wind of this and they forced him out and then he ended up going to jerusalem with Barnabas. The text here tells us that it was three years before Paul traveled to Jerusalem. And then when he did, he met with Peter and James. And what did he do in that meeting? Did he learn from them what the true nature of the gospel was? No, in fact, he corroborated the message that he had received by direct revelation, Jesus on the road to Damascus. And the message that he was preaching in Damascus for these three years before he went to Jerusalem was this very same message that the disciples had received handed down to them from their time with Jesus. So I ask myself, well, what is Paul doing for these three years? He says himself here in the text, I I did not immediately consult with anyone. Well, I think that Paul spent the time going back, using this revelation of Jesus to decode the Old Testament. There's over 570 prophecies about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. And I'm sure that Paul was looking at each one saying, does Jesus fit here? Is this the truth about God? Is this experience that I had real? Does it really match up with what God has revealed or am I losing my mind? He was searching the scriptures and then using them as the text tells us to prove that Jesus was the Christ. Let's remember, at this time, there was no New Testament. So most of what we're reading and what we're thinking about and the message of Jesus and the gospel spelled out plainly wasn't available. The gospel records hadn't been recorded. Paul's epistles hadn't been written. No, but Jesus himself, he came preaching the kingdom, quoting the Old Testament, corroborating the message, showing the people If you know the story about the disciples on the road to Emmaus, what do they say about their experience with the risen Lord Jesus? They say, did not our hearts burn as he opened the scriptures to us? And this becomes the pattern that the disciples and the apostles, as well as Paul, used. So Paul spent those years in Damascus, in my opinion, giving himself a, a, a PhD, an advanced course in Jesus found in the Old Testament. The scripture in Acts 9, 19-22 tells us this. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now, we see a parallel example of this later in the book of Acts, in Acts 13. Uh, So Paul here in Galatians says, eventually he left um, Damascus. He went into Syria and Cilicia and these other Gentile regions. And what happens there? Acts 13 tells us. They go into a synagogue uh, as was the custom at the day of the day, uh, a reading from the Mosaic Law was made, a reading from the Old Testament prophets was made. And then the leaders of the synagogue invite Paul and Barnabas to stand and share some reflection or some encouragement for the people. So what does Paul do? Well, he stands, and he begins connecting the dots. And if you read that section, you will see that he recounts for them the history of God's work with the people. He brought them out of Egypt. He established them as a nation. He brought them into the promised land. He defeated their enemies before them. He entrusted them with the law. He raised up a kingdom, the King David, and gave prophecies about David's future descendant who would sit on the throne and rule and bring life and peace and harmony to God's people. And then he says, this is Jesus. Jesus, the son of David, the son of man, and the son of God. And what is the outcome of this reasoning from the scriptures that Paul proceeds with? Well, it says here, Acts 13, 42, as they went out, that is, the people who heard him, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. You see, the people of God who had the revelation of the Old Testament, they were still hungry for more. They knew there was a coming Messiah. They knew there was another revelation, but they hadn't received it yet. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke, urged them to continue in the grace of the Lord. And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God. The people were hungering for this revelation. And when it was brought to them, it was effectual. It changed hearts and it changed minds. And many came to faith through Paul's argument. So we see that God has provided not only the testimony of the original apostles directly received from Jesus, but also this divine revelation to Paul on the Damascus Road. Two separate paths leading to the same conclusion that Jesus is the culmination of God's great work of redemption in human history. So no wonder Paul is so protective of this message. He traded his old life in Judaism to have this message. He energetically urges this church to hold fast to this message. Last week, Brian articulated to us the content of the gospel. I think he did a great job. He taught us that the gospel is for sinners that unless we recognize that we are rebellious and that we are broken and that we are separated from God, we cannot receive what God is offering. He told us that the gospel is sufficient, that Jesus Christ's sacrifice satisfied God, and that Jesus Christ's righteousness is more than enough righteousness for us, that we don't have to add anything else. No fillers, no preservatives, 100% Jesus in our place. And finally, the gospel is a solution And we are the problem. That all of our efforts to solve the problem ourselves actually keeps on more trouble. Like the Pharisees trying to uh, seek after God or fix ourselves, we add things that actually become encumbrances and hindrances. What we need is a God's solution. The man, the person, Jesus Christ. So this week I have three thoughts for us. Three things that I think we can draw out of this first chapter of Galatians. First, gospel confidence. We need to be confident that this gospel that Paul preached to the church in Galatia, that we see written all throughout the scriptures, that has been preserved for us and communicated to us, is God's gospel, not man's gospel. Second, gospel conformity. Paul tells us about his life before he hears this gospel and then after. He is shaped. He is changed. He is Remade by the gospel. We too should be remade by this gospel. And third, gospel communication. This gospel message must be preached, it must be shared. And it's so critical that we do that. So, first, confidence in the gospel. Why do we need confidence in this gospel? Well, why did the church in Galatia need confidence in the gospel? You know, there were men at the time who had come in after Paul and begin to teach a false gospel, to teach that uh, the uh, Galatians and other Gentiles like them needed to first become Jewish in order to become Christian, that somehow the reason that there was a Jewish revelation was so that it would be the on-ramp to Jesus. But Paul rails against this. He says, no, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He fulfills the law, and he fulfills the prophets. And it was helpful, but it is not necessary in order to reach or have Jesus In a similar way, there are many man-made philosophies today, many therapeutic self-help programs that you will see. Don't be fooled by the TED Talks that tell you how to have your best life now or the YouTube influencers who are going to tell you how to achieve everything that's in your heart and in your mind. Don't listen to those on Instagram who are trying to deconstruct the faith and show you how clever they are. Yes, it's true. This gospel message may seem like foolishness, but, the, but the, the Bible tells us that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. You know, the problem of the world is this evil, this brokenness. We see it everywhere. You see it in your newsfeed, in war in Europe. You see it in your friends' lives, your coworkers' lives, maybe in your own life. Whether it's pain or suffering, depression, physical ailments, economic problems, whatever it is. Our tendency is to say, we need to fix them. Let's put our heads together. Let's come up with a solution. But what is the source of all this brokenness? It's man's separation from God. It's human beings running around doing what they think is best, not turning to the God. How is it that a man dying on a cross could be the solution to all of these problems? Well, you see, Jesus on the cross is not just a man, but the God-man. Jesus on the cross does these things for us. He frees us from the presence of sin. That is, our guilt can be taken away, and we can experience forgiveness. He frees us from the power of sin, our tendency to rebel and turn from God and do our own thing. He gives us a new heart. He frees us from the penalty of sin. That is, the punishment that we deserve. He absorbed God's wrath and God's punishment on our behalf. Not only was this plan of God wiser than anything that any clever thinker has ever thought, but God delivered it to us with supernatural power. Jesus himself said, if you don't believe my message, believe the signs. His ministry was marked by miraculous works. And the apostles and disciples after him the same way. And then Paul tells us here about this miraculous encounter that he has with the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. A flash of light, blinded, falling from his horse, an audible voice, scales falling from his eyes. Three years studying the scriptures so that he would be prepared to defend God's gospel. On the other hand, three years for the disciples walking with the man Jesus, learning from him directly. These two paths filled with miraculous signs and supernatural power to show us what the true gospel is. Now, I haven't even begun to mention to you here things like the rise of Christianity in the face of uh, overwhelming political power and opposition from the Roman Empire, or how Christianity uh, totally revolutionized all of Europe. I haven't said anything about the historicity of the New Testament and how we can trust the record that's been handed down to us, no, Paul wants you to put to rest your doubts about the gospel. He wants you to have confidence that this is God's message. Second, we need to conform to this gospel. Paul took time here in Galatians 1 to remind us of where he began when he received this gospel. He was a Pharisee. He was zealous. He was rising in the ranks. He was in it to win it. Paul was advancing more than anyone else his age group. He was born in the right family. He was raised in the right church. He graduated from the Harvard of Hebrew schools. He studied under the best and the brightest that Judaism had to offer. His moral life was impeccable. He was in the Forbes top 30 innovators under 30. Whatever list or accolade you want to think about, he said, I had achieved it. He tells us about this. In Philippians chapter four, he says, when I encountered Jesus, I changed my tune. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from my pharisaical observances and from the rules and the morality, but that which comes through faith, faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul had previously worked harder than anyone else to, to build his resume and pad his credentials to create the perfect LinkedIn page, curating his TikTok content and showing what a great teacher he was and how God had gifted him. What things have you trusted in in your life to bring you validation, to prove your worth or your value, to demonstrate that you are deserving of love or respect or attention? Is it your family? Maybe the neighborhood you grew up in or the your place of origin. I mean, I come from a respectable family. Look at my kids; they're so well-adjusted and successful. My neighbors are like the upper echelon of society. I have access to the halls of power. This is, isn't this great? Paul says all that is rubbish. Is it maybe your political tribe? Right? Do you find yourself gathering with other like-minded voters and bashing or bad-mouthing the other side, talking about how silly their plans are? Do you find yourself fearful that if another party comes into power that they might destroy everything you hold dear? Ah, Paul calls that trash. Is it your religious affiliation and your spiritual accomplishments? Look at my church. See how dynamic we are. Look at my pastor. He has a national platform. Look at our ministry and see how much good we've done in the community. You know, the the prophet Isaiah, he calls that, he says that all of our efforts to secure our position with God are like filthy rags. Actually, he says they're like used minstrel cloths, but I'll let you think about that. Listen, anything that you lean on to give your life meaning apart from Jesus is fragile, sinking sand. These are false gospels. If your identity has not been forged by this knowledge that the treasured son of God put off his majesty so that he could come and save you in a bold and costly act, of sacrificial love, then you are not being conformed to the gospel. If that knowledge doesn't satisfy your inner deepest longing for worth and value, you haven't been molded by this gospel. Paul invites us to walk the same path that he walked, to throw off all other allegiances and to receive this highest honor. To trust in anything else is to make it a savior. And that is man's gospel. So like Paul, I encourage you to cling to this pure gospel. Jesus plus anything equals nothing, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Finally, we must communicate the gospel. Are you familiar with a word cloud? Word clouds are these uh, visual representations of the content of, say, an article or a book chapter or even a conversation. It goes something like this. You can read through the content, and whatever themes show up the most, you're going to represent in this word cloud the largest. So if you read one of my work emails, you're going to say something like, bones, very large. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I work on bones all the time, Right? Uh, Medical terminology, fairly large. You're not going to see a lot of economics or uh, accounting or political stuff in there. And so any reference to cost and stuff is going to be fairly small. So what does this have to do with your situation? Think back to your last week, all your conversations, what you discussed. Is Jesus in your word cloud? What about concepts like sin and forgiveness and grace? You see, we live in a society that doesn't believe in sin and isn't looking for forgiveness and therefore can't appreciate grace. There are so many things that we talk about each day with friends and neighbors and colleagues, but will these conversations reverberate into eternity? Yes, it's true. We have decisions to be made, bills to be paid, jobs to work and children to raise, elections in which to vote, Netflix TV shows to quote, but are you sharing your most precious treasure? You know, God forbid that I would be guilty of teaching my children the gospel of hard work. You need to work hard and you'll be successful. What you sow, you shall reap put in this effort and out will come success, but fail to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. God forbid that we would be guilty of spreading a gospel about our great summer vacation or about our favorite television show with our friends, but not tell the lost how to be found. God forbid that we would share the good news of the St. Louis Cardinals or the blues, our favorite song or artist, and fail to tell of the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified. We speak these little G Gospels all the time. See this restaurant that I went to? Check out this meal that I prepared. Isn't it wonderful? But do we share the big G Gospel? Do we share our most precious treasure? Paul made it his greatest aspiration to be known by Christ. In Christ crucified. May it be our greatest aspiration as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for your word, for this revelation of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you delighted to, to reveal it to the unlearned, to the weak, to the foolish, and that you used it to confound the wise. I thank you that you have given it to us. Would you, by your Spirit, cause us to cherish it and savor it? Help us to share it. Help us to be reshaped by it every day for your kingdom and your glory. Amen.